Today, today I want to talk about success. I think uh, it's a success that Pastor Angela and Pastor Chris are back from their pilgrimage to the Holy Land. Yeah, very glad to have them back safely. Uh, this morning, as we prepared in the fireside room, and we got sort of all of our assignments together, we have a sheet that I send out in the middle of the week to let everybody know what they're going to be doing in worship. Pastor Angela had a lot assigned to her, and she was frantic, which was great. That felt like a real success to me. <laughs> but, um, we are so glad to have her back, and I and have both of them back to have our pilgrim, all of our pilgrims back. And today, again, let's think about together what it means to be successful. Let us pray. Shatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If there is anything said from this pulpit that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there's anything said from this pulpit that's according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing obey. Amen. Daniel Radcliffe. Does everybody know who Daniel Radcliffe is? Daniel Radcliffe was a household name when he was 11 years old. He was the, the feature character, the, the star, the title character of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone at 11 years old. And he was the star of the seven blockbuster movies that followed it. He achieved all this fame and fortune when he was just a child, when he was at the age where our children today are learning Fortnite dances and dealing with acne for the first time. A few years ago on our anniversary, my wife and I, we decided that we wanted to see a show on Broadway for our anniversary. We lived only two hours from, from the city. And so we looked, at, we looked at what was playing. And one of our favorite comedic musicals was on revival. How to succeed in business without really trying. Has, has anyone seen that show? The 8 o'clock and no one knew what I was talking about, which made the whole sermon rather difficult. <laughs> How to succeed in business without really trying. And J. Pierpont Finch, who is the lead in the show, was being played by none other than Daniel Radcliffe. Now we know that Harry Potter can do a number of things. Harry Potter can catch the golden snitch. He can speak a snake language. He can, he can cast a Patronus, you know, like you do. But could Harry, Potter, could Harry Potter sing and dance as well? That was the question that we had. I assumed that they wouldn't cast him if he couldn't do either of those things. I also assumed that if he was rough around the edges, that they would coach him up and, you know, make him a passable Broadway musical star. But the bigger question for me, as one about to lay down a couple of hundred bucks and three hours of my time, was would the prodigy even try? What would his effort be like? Why should he try with all that he had already accomplished? 
This is ironic, of course, considering the title and the plotline of the show. J. Pierpont Finch, the lead, is a plucky custodian and had every reason to scrape and claw and manage and manipulate his way to the top of the worldwide wicket company. But would his portrayer, Daniel Ratcliffe, the boy who lived, strive for the same success? We bought the tickets and decided to find out. What does it mean for you to be successful? How do you know that you are a success? For J. Pierpont Finch, it meant rising the corporate ladder to become chairman of the board. Is that still what we think of when we think of success? Or is that version of success something that belongs in the past? Is it time to place that drama back in 1952 where it was first written? I think that some of us, most of us, almost all of us are beginning to realize, maybe only beginning to realize, that there is not as much to all of that as it once promised. To invest a life in making it, in being in charge, is more and more being exposed as a fool's errand. Even Bill Gates, who has chaired some of the most powerful boards in the past, admits that as a young man in his 20s, he was consumed with making Microsoft a personal computing giant. Today, his focus is on other people. He says, did I devote enough time to my family? Did I learn enough new things? Did I develop new friendships and deepen old ones? These would have been laughable to me when I was 25, but as I get older, they are much more meaningful. Maybe Gates has been paying more attention to Jesus. Because this is, at least in part, what Jesus has been trying to teach us, to teach us about success in the triumphal entry, this great scene that we remember and we reenact every year. Now, in order to understand that and why today's scripture, why today's reenactment is actually a story about success, you have to know that this moment, this one of Jesus riding into town, was predicted 500 years earlier by a prophet named Zechariah. Zechariah wrote, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt the foal of a donkey. And yet here we are, only moments before his death, where Jesus accepts this mantle of kingship that's been his to claim. Only now does he embrace this title of great success. Had he done this earlier in his life, Surely he would have been associated with all of the notorious rulers of the time, Herod and Pilate and Quirinius, 
And as a result, the expectation of his rule might have been one like theirs, one of accumulation and military might and control. But see what Jesus does. As he welcomes this coronation and parade, they already know him as something else. They know him as a different kind of leader. They know him as one who brings healing. Did Pilate bring healing? They know him as one who offers forgiveness. Was that Quirinius's MO? They know him as one who shapes community, not something Herod was known for. And so as Jesus rides into town, he redefines what it means to wear a crown. If Jesus is king, this is really what's at stake. If Jesus is king, and he was, and he is, this is the new old way to understand success, to be known, to be connected, to be relationally yoked, you know? That's what Jesus is trying to say as he comes down that hill as the king. You know me as this kind of person, and just because I've, just because I've taken this mantle, it doesn't mean I've changed who I am. So how successful are you? Uh-oh, I know you've worked your whole life to be successful in one way. But in the way of Jesus, how successful are you? Warren Buffett says that his measure of success comes down to one question. Do the people you care about love you back? How successful are you? As we close out this season of Lent, a season of self-assessment, this might be one of the most important questions that we can ask in this room. How successful are you? It might even be a question of life and death. Am I being hyperbolic? You be the judge. Jenny Anderson reports that in 2010, Holt Lundsted published research showing that people who had weaker social ties had a 50% increased likelihood of dying early than those with stronger ones. Being disconnected, she showed, posed danger comparable to smoking 15 cigarettes a day and more predictive of early death than the effects of air pollution or physical inactivity. She goes on to note that this idea is backed up by research from Julia Rohrer at the Max Planck Institute who studied a large group of Germans who said they were committed to trying to become happier. The twist was that some pursued self-improvement goals such as getting a new job, making more money, while others tried spending more time with friends and family. A year later she found those who focused on connecting more with others were happier than those who pursued self-improvement. The thing that makes us happier in life 
is other people. And yet other people are often the first thing to fall off our list of priorities. Which is why the second passage in today's scripture readings, the one about Peter in the courtyard, is so heartbreaking to me. You remember what happens, right? With this first opportunity that Peter has to live into this new way of being a success, this new way of being a success through relational integrity, his first opportunity, and he drops it. He denies Jesus not once, not twice, but he denies him three times just like Jesus said he would. Last May, I had the chance to sit in the courtyard where this drama unfolded. We were there as part of the Kirk's first pilgrimage to the Holy Land, and I can remember sitting there and our tour guide telling us about this staircase that led up to the courtyard. It was a long staircase, and we were told that Jesus would have been swept away by security forces in the Garden of Gethsemane all the way across town, brought up this staircase through the courtyard and into Caiaphas's house. He would have stood before the Sanhedrin, a religious council there in Caiaphas's house. The next day, he would be taken to be questioned by Pilate, but that night, he was held in a pit lowered down into it by a rope harness. That night he waited in the darkness while Peter sat around the campfires. Until the morning when the cock crowed. Now that story's always gotten to me. That story's always gotten to me because I know there's so much of me in it focused on so many of the other things in my life, maybe you too, focused on so many of the other things in my life, chasing after the things that I think are going to make me a big success, that Pilate and Herod, the Pilots and Herods of this world, have convinced me I should be chasing after. I have been prone to wander, and maybe you have too. Prone to wander from the connections with other people that really matter prone to wander from the connection with Jesus that makes all of the other connections in our lives matter. And so that day I sat in the courtyard and I thought of Peter. I thought long and hard about Peter. And then something came to me about Peter. See, they asked Peter three times. He might have denied Jesus three times, but they had to ask him three times. They were so convinced about his connection with Jesus that they had to ask him three times. How many times would they ask me? How many times would they ask you? Would it be just once and then they would give up? taking you at your word? Would it be twice? Would they just assume that you heard them wrong? 
Or is the connection that is there, the connection that you have with your Savior, is it such that they would have to ask you not once, not twice, but all the way through the night until the cock crowed? That, I think, would be success. If they had to ask you all through the night. It's the success that we should be striving for as individuals and as a church. So convincing we should be that we are connected to him, that they'd have to ask us until the cock crowed. When we're convincing about our connection with Jesus, all of our other connections will fall into place. They will. That's how we found Daniel Radcliffe that night on Broadway. Not necessarily connected to Jesus. (laughs) But Daniel Radcliffe was convincing in his connection. He didn't have to be. He was convincing in his connection with his character and with his audience, with all of us. I have never, in fact, seen an actor sing with that much intensity or dance with that much sweat ever before in my life. And what did he have to gain? Again, only connection. It wasn't the money and it wasn't the fame. It certainly wasn't the exposure to critics. I might have loved him, but others not so much. One wrote, he's out of his league. That was Peter Marks of the Washington Post. Ben Brantley of the New York Times said, I would give him, oh, a six out of 10. Another said, two things emerge unanimously from the American reviews of the performance. The first thing, Everybody wishes young Radcliffe well. The second thing, absolutely no one thinks he can sing. That had to sting, I'm sure, to have his singing assessed that way. But to live in a world, to be part of a community, that because of your commitment to convincing connection, because of your commitment to convincing connection with Jesus and with other people, to live in a community where everyone wishes you well because of that. Well, in my book, that is success. Amen.